You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent, and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy hump day, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Hopefully, everybody's having a good week. I know that here in Iowa, this gigantic cold front came through, and and where I live, it dumped about five or six inches of snow, and I just got back from Michigan, and that's what today's episode is about, but I was finding ways in my head to get out and go hunting, you know, to you know, maybe take advantage of this cold front. So I had this debate in my head. I was like, do I piss off my wife or do I continue? Do I play it cool knowing that it's still mid October and there's probably not a lot of movement still going on, even though this big cold front came through. So I decided to chill out not go hunting and I have a couple trail cameras out right now so I'm gonna see if I made the right decision Uh, I'll probably check those cameras on Thursday this week and I'm gonna see if I made the right decision to make my wife happy stay home and uh, I've I've, (laughs) I've really been trying to be a good boy lately and 
do things around the house, make her life a little bit easier. You know, today I took her out for dinner or for lunch and, uh, you know, I cook supper and do all these things so that I can just torch that bridge <laughs> in about two weeks when the rut hits and I disappear again for a while. So, uh, you know, I even bought her flowers. So I'm doing, I'm doing these things to kind of lighten the load, uh, that and, and after a while and this goes out to the guys who have been married for some time that load <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter if the weeks before you do every chore in the house nothing replaces you not being there and you can take her out for dinner and you can you know cook supper and do the dishes but when you're gone it's just not the same so uh I guess I'll be fighting that battle. We all will be fighting that battle in a couple weeks. And uh, if you're a lady who goes out and hunt, hunts, and you leave your husband at home, just flip the rolls. You know what I mean? So uh, we got a really good episode today, man. As you know, I recently went to Michigan. And I, I want to keep this intro short because I really do cover a lot in this episode um, and I talk with Mark Kenyon everybody here who listens to this knows uh, about Mark Kenyon and Wired to Hunt he's a Michigan native and uh, so I, I'd i been hunting for a couple days he invites me to his house we record this podcast and then the next uh, that evening I went hunting and that next morning I went hunting so basically we just recap my trip We talk about the culture of hunting in Michigan. We talk about the deer herd and their behavior. We talk about uh, the brown it's down mentality. All these different things where I grew up one way in Iowa, which is probably one of the meccas of, you know, the, the most desired destination to hunt bucks in the state of, you know, in the United States. Then we have Michigan, which is this high pressured, but also at the same time, high tradition uh, state, hunting tradition state. And we talk about the similarities. We talk about the differences. We talk about um, just kind of how I was raised versus how he was raised uh, in, in this hunting community that we all share, the differences, the similarities, all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, what I will say, and I don't necessarily know if I say it in, in here, Michigan, like, there's a strong part of me that I I was defeated in Michigan, right? It's like, if if you're going to say, you know, me versus Michigan, as far as deer hunting is concerned, I got defeated. There's a small part of me that really wants to get back there and try to get it done in another year. Now, whether that's next year or the year after that, I I still want to come and kind of give it my all. Uh, and really match myself against that state because um, the places that I sat and some of the terrain that I saw and some of the sign that I saw really got me fired up. I'll be honest. I saw some big rubs. I saw a lot of scrapes, you know, and obviously not knowing what lives there because I didn't have any trail cameras. But I will tell you this, man, I got uh, I got fired up a couple times when I walked in and saw some really good rubs. I saw some really big scrapes and the signs there, but the deer, unfortunately, were not. So that's what this episode is about. But before we get into today's episode, man, we got to do a commercial. And that commercial is Lone Wolf Tree Stands. Now, their website, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. I used one stand and four sticks for this entire trip. I tore down and set up 
for every location that I that I went to uh, while I was in there in Michigan. I used it in South Dakota, right? It's very quiet. It's easily packable and it allows you to be mobile. And at the end of the day, that is what you need to move with the deer herd, to move with the deer movement, um, to set up not just in one spot, but wherever the best spot is, right? And you hear me talk about that all the time. And that's why I am a huge fan of Lone Wolf tree stands. Hang on. I'm a huge fan of the assault. Uh, if I'm going to leave a stand up in the same spot for a while, I'll use the alpha. Um, I'll do a four sticks. I usually use four sticks. Um, sometimes I need them all four. Sometimes I'll just use three or two, depending on the scenario. But uh, definitely love the Made in America products. And uh, if you're looking for a tree stand that honestly is probably one of the best in the market as far as mobile hang on tree stands you gotta you gotta go with a lone wolf man so uh oh i have a discount code for you now if you go to their website and you spend two hundred dollars you can enter the discount code nine f c five zero and you're gonna save god dang it uh if you use the discount code 9FC50, you're going to be able to save $50 off all orders over $200. So, you know, that right there is 25%. When you buy one of their tree stands or four sticks, you're looking at more of a 20% discount. So that's still pretty good, man. So take advantage of that right now. And um, other than that, man. Let's just uh, quit BSing, quit talking, and let's get into this another BS session with me and Mark about uh, the state of Michigan, man. Hopefully, you guys enjoy. Please subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles. Please follow me on Instagram and uh, Facebook, not only on uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles, but on uh, uh, Sportsman's Nation as well. And uh, subscribe and enjoy. All right. So, we'll just start recording. (laughs) Um... So it's been a while, but it's like, what was it, two years? Was it two years when we had the original Dan, you should come hunt Michigan conversation? Well, I think I've been saying it for longer than that, but it was probably two years ago when we tried to make it official. How did we make it official? What was the, So wasn't it a contest of some kind? Well, the for, the, it was foreshadowing, oh, no. yes. right, because I said... You know, if I ever am able to do Sportsman's Nation or Nine Fingers full time, yeah, I will come and hunt Michigan. That was it. Well, what happened was I got laid off, so yeah. I used that as a loophole. That was your excuse last year. To, yeah, to not hunt Michigan, but finally because of uh, peer pressure, <laughs> and I, I think if I would have, I think if I would have not come, it may have ruined my career. <laughs> <laughs> I would have made sure of it. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's awesome that you're here. Yeah, uh, and I tell you what, it, it's it's interesting, and we're going to get it all into it, but I got scared there for a while because I had this whole, I had this whole trip planned, yep. right? And my mother-in-law comes and helps watch the kids. Well, she's sick, Ooh. so my wife is running solo, with the three kids this week, which as any hunter who goes anywhere that's not home knows, Uh there is this thick tension 
and resentment and whatever at home because you're not there. So my wife's like, I'll handle it. I'm fine. Which means hurry up and get back as soon as you buy, <laughs> as soon as you can. Yeah. So, um, yep. so there was for a short period of time, I thought I was going to have to make a phone call to you and another guy and just say, man, I think I might have to po- postpone this Yeah. just because of the schedule. Yep. And thank God I didn't, you know, <laughs> because I, th- the way people are these days, I'm pretty sure I would get hate mail. Dude, you know, cancel culture is the thing right now. <laughs> Whatever happened to that Dan Johnson guy? Well, he claimed he was going to hunt Michigan, and then he backed out. That bastard. That son of a bitch. <laughs> Never listened to the Nine Fingers again. What a... What no, a, you did it, man. You fulfilled your commitment. Yeah. You followed through. I'm loyal. You did it. You're loyal. We're sitting here drinking a beer at my house. The, the which uh, is wired, wired to Hunt Ranch. Yeah, you could call it that. I didn't um, realize your fences were so high around your property. <laughs> yeah, about 20 foot tall, keeps all the deer in real nice. And That's how you're successful. That's how I kill those 110-inch three-year-olds. <laughs> Where are they at? Uh, yeah. Because I'll definitely shoot one of those. Yeah, you'd, you'd pay a couple grand for that, right? <laughs> That's funny. Oh, yeah, but I'm, I'm really glad you're here. It's cool. Yeah, it's man, fun. I, I tell you what, between you and another, one of the, uh, another guy I just met through Instagram, Brian, um, you guys have kind of showed me around, showed me the ropes, um, kind of pointed me in the right direction because, um, like we were talking about uh, earlier today, it's hard to come into a hunt where you're only dedicating three ish days to it. And in that time you have to try to lock something down. And obviously I want to come in and, uh, I want to shoot a buck. Right. I want to, you know, I want to shoot a hundred. I said to myself, if I could walk out of Michigan with 120 to 130 inch buck, I would be ecstatic. Yeah. Right. So I get, I get some help from, uh, this Brian guy he's sending me pictures. He's sending me, uh, Onyx pins. Um, he's, you know, he's helping me out. He's basically scouting for me and helping me, you know, get my, f- so my ass isn't in the wind once I get here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that was super generous. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, um, you know, he's, he said to me, man, he's like, Michigan can be something really special Yeah. if the guy, if a guy can really put his time into it, right? So leading up to this hunt, I had a ton of, um, you know, these, these daydreams and, you know, like starting to get these get excited about coming here you were getting michigan daydreams yeah that's a thing yeah wow. I, I was um you know like he's sending me pictures of or he's sending me pins and i'm just i'm dreaming about what it actually what looks like, look like yeah. down there yeah. right and he's saying hey i saw a you know i saw a 140 here this summer i saw a 140 here you know whatever. this guy was on some stuff sounds yeah. like he was he found a pocket or something yeah good. he's uh he's done his scouting homework sounds and like it. he's located some really good deer throughout this you know this big piece of public and he is you know and he's like he's like i said he's generous enough to to help me in between you know what you've said around where you live and what he's you know said about here i had this these idea these ideas kind of change in my head about what it's going to be like to hunt michigan yep 
So. <laughs> so what were? Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to ask you. So what were your expectations before you arrived? After you know, you've talked to me for yeah. eight years about Michigan. Yeah. You've heard from all sorts of other people about Michigan. You've seen the deer I've killed in Michigan. Yep. You've heard me talk about the challenges though too, mm-hmm. and everybody else. Yep. Um, but then you also have this guy that's sending you pictures of giant bucks and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, you can definitely have you, and you even said it when we did a podcast this summer about it. You've heard some people say Michigan's awesome. You can mm-hmm. kill a big giant buck, and there's other people that say Michigan's horrible. Yeah. Um, it's everybody wants to leave. So you've heard everything. Where did you? Where were you at when you were driving? You're on the road. Yeah. You're on the way here. You left Iowa. The only person in the history of America who left <laughs> Iowa to hunt Michigan. <laughs> and what was going through your mind then? And like realistically, you're like, what could really happen? And I think it was a little flawed, too, because as I start putting out uh, content throughout the summer of Michigan, I'm getting people reach out to me from Michigan yep. telling me, dude, don't sleep on Michigan. If you play your cards right, you can yep. definitely have a crack at a 130 class buck. Yeah. Right. And, and here I am in Iowa and my goal every year is to run into a booner, yep. right? Something in the 170 class. Yep. So maybe it's the fact that a, th- a 130 class three-year-old seems attainable in Iowa relatively easy. Yeah. Maybe I'm skewed by thinking that. And, and maybe I'm thinking that a 130 class three-year-old in Michigan is top tier yep you know so i think what happened was i i got all these people reaching out to me and that fueled my excitement to get out here and and start to hunt so i got i got really really excited because this guy's you know this guy's helping me and um but then it's like that voice is talking louder to me when the dude it's mid-october there's no running activity going on Right. It, and even in Iowa right now, my, my cell cams are yeah. does and small bucks. Right. Slowing down. Yeah. So I wouldn't say slowing down. It's just, they're not, they're not moving like they are anywhere. I mean, yeah. really anywhere. At least I, out in the open spots. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm driving down the interstate. It's time to get gas. I pull off into Michigan. Right. I, I, my first black top off the interstate. And I get gas. <laughs> I've already told you. I this. love this. This is <laughs> this is this encapsulates everything perfectly. Right. Filling up with gas, and there's a guy from Michigan in a truck. He's filling up with gas too, and he goes Iowa. I go yeah. Looking at your plates. Looking at my license plates. Yeah. Iowa. Yep. What are you doing in Michigan? Well, I'm here to bow hunt. And his his face and demeanor changes, and he goes. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? <laughs> <laughs> That's just, there should be, we should have a t-shirt. And it's just a, the picture of the state of Michigan. And then in quotes, are you fucking serious? <laughs> oh man. And I got a kick out of that. And then, and then I leave the gas station and my perception of Michigan hit me all at one time. Because of that or because of something you saw? Well, what I'm about to see, okay, right? Driving down, driving down the the blacktop, and I'm looking off into the fields, and it's chunk of timber, shooting house, chunk of timber, shooting house. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I just thought, 
what did I just get myself into? <laughs> right? I had, and that <laughs> continues for two hours. <laughs> right? Shooting house, shooting house, shooting right. house, shooting house. Right. So, 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 I am. So I'm. I think the realization started to set in of what I was in for before I even hit the timber. Yeah. Right. I, I started to change from, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm hunting a new area. There's a chance I'm going to run into a buck to, to seeing what everybody has told me about this state and how it operates with deer hunting. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about this and I want to hear your opinion because I'm coming from a state where, where man, it is not like it is here, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to get into the deer behavior talk here in a second, but you grew up in a state like this, and everybody, you know, a lot of people who follow us on, on uh, Instagram and social and the podcast and whatever, they are, um, they, this is all they know, right? Yep. So Iowa is really all I know when it comes to whitetail, yep. and now I'm coming here and having this experience. So... When when it when it when Michigan or a state like Michigan or a high pressure um, area is all you know, what is that like growing up? And how do you how do you talk to people like me who live in a completely different world? Yeah. Well, growing up, I knew nothing different, so I thought yeah. it was just how it was. But what's a, a really great example of this is that at our family deer camp up north, where I did most of my hunting growing up. Um, my grandpa had two pictures on the wall, like newspaper clippings, mm-hmm. and they were photographs of these bucks. And one was probably like a 120-inch 10-pointer, and the other one was maybe like a 130-inch 10-pointer. Mm-hmm. And as a kid growing up, I always thought that was make-believe. I didn't think there were deer that would ever grow that big. I thought that was a joke. Yeah. Um, so literally, it wasn't until I was a teenager and was seeing magazines of real deer and realizing what was going on that I realized, oh, deer can really get that big. Yeah. Because no one ever saw anything like that. It was every, if you saw a spike, if you saw a four corner, if you saw a six pointer, that was amazing. Like, yeah. It was, it was, big deer were not a reality in our life, at least. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until really college when I started branching out a little bit and, and, I don't know, taking things on in a more independent way and really, really diving into the media and what was out there that I realized, okay, yeah, like, there are deer like this in other places. There are ways to find these deer. Um, it's not all like this, but it took a long time to kind of figure it out. But I would tell you that when it really started, when you really have that aha moment is when you start traveling out of state, when yeah. you actually hunt somewhere else. Yeah. And so, I mean, and I, it's like a weird thing like talking to you or other people in these other states because it can seem demeaning yeah when i'm like oh it seems easy when i'm hunting this other state and yeah. i know it's still a lot of it's, it is still a lot of work it's not easy but it is night and day different mm-hmm. when i go from like hunting here to hunting ohio or yeah. here to hunting iowa or yeah. here to hunting wherever nebraska or something it's just you yes the, the, the number of older deer is so much higher mm-hmm. the, the behavior is so different the stuff you can get away with is so different yeah so I oh you know it's easy to bash Michigan right yeah. a lot of people do it I've done it at times but I think it's important to know like you can have success in Michigan there are some great deer in Michigan you certainly can do it but you just have a different set of odds you're working against and yeah. the opportunities are 
they're more hard to come by. Yeah. Um, so talking to different people from other states, it's just hard to, you can say it and you'd be like, oh man, there's a lot of hunters. Mm -hmm. Oh man, there's a lot of pressure. Oh man, there are not a lot of mature bucks compared to like, you're going to see 20 does and three year and a half olds. And then once every blue moon, you'll see a two or three year old. Yeah. That doesn't really come across until you experience it. Yeah. I think so. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, but then you can be in a pocket and you can see 140 inch bucks and 150 yeah. inch bucks. Um, but it's night and day different compared to these other states. Yeah. So it's funny your experience growing up where you, you saw that pay, you saw 120 inch deer and you thought it was fake. Yep. My experience in Iowa is completely opposite of that where I got, um, one of my first trail cameras I ever got was the big D batteries mm -hmm. and uh, took film. So, you know, you go to the one hour. You... How old are you? Like 64? <laughs> <laughs> when was this? <laughs> this was, this would have been like the early 2000s. Yeah. And uh, I take, you take the film in, you, you, you turn it in and you just, you go wait in your okay. car for one hour and then you come in. Is it done yet? No. Is it done yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's done. So I take the pictures that I get and oh, there's a buck take it to and it's one of the biggest bucks i've ever seen right other than the magazines uh -huh. that everybody's used to and i i take it to the farmer and i say oh my god check this buck out and the farmer tells me you don't want to shoot that buck there's bigger bucks around here you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to shoot that so so it's completely opposite yeah as far as the spec the spectrum is is concerned so i I'm driving, you know, now I'm driving in and I'm getting ready to go in for the first time. Michigan. Michigan, yep. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've done my scouting. Yep. I've gotten my pins from people. Uh, I've done my e-scouting and all this stuff. So yep. I, I find a location that I want to go try out um, on, on this first night. And the first thing that I notice when I step out of my truck and walk into the timber is the cover and how thick and gnarly mm -hmm. it is. Um, and this is a theme through this entire trip. It's been the cover is, is there. Yep. And I, when I, for me, when I see cover, I go, okay, these deer have plenty of places to hide. Yep. And um, so I, at this point, I haven't made the connection yet of, why why does michigan why is michigan get a bad rap right the covers here the yep. water's here these deer have places to disappear yep. to um even if they get bumped by another hunter they can they can easily go to the next little area and and maybe that's not the theme for the entire state but mm -hmm. from what i've heard from people on on social and and all this stuff it is like there's plenty of cover in this state for deer to get um you know, to, to hide and get away. So my question to you is the covers there. Yep. The water's there. There. Yep. Why then is there so, why is the deer behavior so different and why is there not a higher age class? So, yeah, I think Michigan has most of the building blocks to have just as good a deer hunting as in Ohio or in Indiana or any of our neighboring states. It has the food, lots of crops, at least yep. in the bottom half of the state. Yep. Uh, 
plenty of water, plenty of cover, all those things. What we have that's different to a degree is big things the number of hunters. Mm-hmm. We have somewhere around like 750,000, 800,000 hunters, whitetail hunters yeah. in the state of Michigan. And if you compare that to the number of hunters in Iowa, I think it's like 65,000 or something like that. Um, I mean, it's dramatically different. Yeah. I, remember, I don't remember the exact number, but I remember looking and being like, oh, night and day. Crazy different. Yeah. So you've got a ton of hunters. This It's the second or third, somewhere in the top two or three uh, number of hunters in a state in the country. Yep. Um, so you've got a high number of hunters. And you also have the vast, the vast majority of those hunters hunting in the bottom third of the state. So you've got... Just packed. Packed in this bottom third of the state where all the agriculture is. You've got... Oh, and here's where it gets like the chicken and the egg. I'm not sure what comes first. Yeah. But you described how the farmer told you, oh, you don't want to shoot that. Yeah. There's bigger bucks than that. So yeah. there's, like a, there's like a cultural thing there where people right. don't shoot that deer because it's bigger. Mm-hmm. So what I don't know is in Iowa... Was it that you've always had tons of mega bucks, and so the culture develops that, oh, yeah, you don't shoot these little ones because there's so many bigger ones? Mm-hmm. Or was it the opposite, and that it's somehow there was a culture that allowed for that to happen, and then more bigger bucks? Like Which thing had to happen first? Well, in Michigan, it's the opposite. So yeah. here, it's, if, it's, if it's brown, it's down culture is mm-hmm. the predominant culture f- for a long time. Oh, you know, over the last decade, 15 years, you know, it's, it's getting increasingly better and better. More and more people are passing younger deer. Um, what I what our family did in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where our whole wall of racks at our cabin is a year and a half old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was the norm probably everywhere in the 80s and 90s. Now less so. Mm-hmm. But still, when you never see big deer, you don't have someone saying, oh, don't shoot those little ones because there's way bigger ones. Most people are like, if I see a buck, I should take it. Yeah. Um, and so that's slowly changing, but I think that's still relatively pervasive in certain areas, in certain communities, whatever. So you have a culture of not passing deer. You have tons of hunters all in there. Um, and I think between those two things is what results in there being – a lower age class of deer. And yeah. so the only thing our deer don't have here is age. Yeah. If you get a buck to five or six or seven, you can get a buck that, you know, would be pretty damn nice in any state. Yeah. But it's rare to get bucks that age. You have to have pockets. What you end up getting around in Michigan where you can find a 150 or 160 inch buck or 170 inch buck, a four or five or six year old buck. There's one or two things usually that's happening. You either have, an area where no one's allowed to hunt. Mm-hmm. So you've got some kind of sanctuary where a buck can get age, and then the people that hunt the edges of it around it can yeah. once in a while bump into deer like that. You need to have so, – so it's either a property that's not allowed to hunt or you have some kind of mega swamp or something that hunters just can't get into. Yeah. Most people won't get into a 500-acre swamp that's standing water, and so you'll get deer that during gun season they swarm in there and some bucks can good old. So I found if you can ever find like the just unbelievably nasty, gnarly swamps and marshes here, you've got one of your best chances to find an older deer. Yeah. And then the last thing is if you get a group of people who all buy into the same management principle, so the whole cooperative co-op, yeah. you know, QDM type co-ops. Yeah. If you find an area here, and in, in, in Michigan, there are more and more people doing that. If you find an area like that, you have a – a decent chance at, at seeing an older deer because people they've changed changed the culture in that yeah. little community. Um, 
but that's that's not the that's the exception. Those yeah. spots are like you've got to look really look for those spots. Yeah. While I can go to other states and you can throw a pin at the map and you're gonna be you know, you're gonna be around good bucks yeah. in some of these states. Here it's like well this little corner of that county is pretty good and you might be able to get into one if you're on that nasty nasty huge swamp. Um, but then you're gonna have twenty square miles where eh, yeah you're gonna be lucky to see a good two year old there. And yeah. That kind of thing. Let me ask you this: You mentioned culture, and there is a cultural difference between Iowa and Michigan. Mm-hmm. But do you think that tradition and culture play are, are in line with each other? Because you mentioned this this there's a it, when I th- when I think of Michigan, I f- I feel like Michigan has a deeper col- uh, a deeper tradition of hunting yeah. than Iowa does that we, yeah, we, we still have this party hunting where we have these groups of people who come in and, you know, they'll do their deer drives and they'll go home and eat chili and drink beer. And then they'll go back out for an evening and, and push deer or, yeah. or ha- during the shotgun season. But for me, and from my, my point of view in Iowa, I see a, a solo hunter or a small group, one, two, three, or maybe even just a family yep. of people compared to Michigan where we have these deer camps yeah. and we have, you know, obviously more people and everybody's coming out of the woodwork and hunting, you know, and yep. everybody's got their hunting shack and, and all that stuff. Do you think there is a difference between culture and tradition? I think so. I think um, I think the tra- like the culture. When I say culture, I mean more like what the norms are. Mm-hmm. So, as far as uh, expectations of hunt and uh, the deer hunting tradition in Michigan, like you said, I think is very strong. Yeah, a strong tradition of, of like you said, the deer camps and the, the historical tradition was going north. Yeah, so going north was like like going up north is a different part of the state it's a different world up there's mm-hmm. a different feel up there so there's a strong tradition of people it, people downstate going upstate to the northern part and that's like you get away from it it's much more north woods just a different feel um and so there's the strong tradition of going up north camping out or going to your cabin or whatever it is um so there's that kind of community aspect there's mm-hmm. definitely a strong community aspect of it um so when i think of tradition i think of those events it's, it's event driven yeah like opening day of gun season opening weekend and stuff like that's a big event a lot of schools are shut down a lot of and people are taking everyone's taking school and work up and, and going and it's it's a it's a social thing more than anything yeah um when i speak about the culture i'm speaking to um more of like the for some reason norm is the only word i can think of but i guess in, like I go back to like, as brown as down. Yeah. Like for so much of my life growing up, I didn't know anybody that would ever consider passing on any buck. It was like, yeah, nobody would even consider that. Yeah. Um. And so there just hasn't been as strong of a a history of people doing that in Michigan. Um, so, what's where, what takes what's the root of all this? Like, why? Does everybody want to shoot a buck regardless of what size it is? And that would be the first question. And the second question is, why does it matter? So you're saying in the state? In, in, yeah, in Michigan. 
I don't know the answer to that, yeah. but I can tell you that there, I do know that back in like the fifties and sixties. So from stories from my grandpa, when he was starting to go up North and do that kind of thing, it was in the restoration phase. So it was a sin to shoot a doe. No one would ever shoot yeah. a doe because they were trying to rebuild the deer population. Okay. The deer population had been tanked in the twenties and thirties. And so in the forties and fifties, they were trying to rebuild it, trying to rebuild it. And so never shoot a doe. So maybe in the early 1900s, people would didn't care. But by the time my grandpa was going up there, and so my grandpa's generation, who were the people that established the culture that all of us grew up in, um, it was sacrilege to do anything but shoot a buck. And the first buck you saw you shot was what that, you know, so. so Things are starting to make sense now. Yeah. Like when when you have a culture that there are people still alive you know, like, your is your grandfather still alive? No, he's not. No. Uh, but I'm sure out there, there are some grandfathers who are still alive. Yeah. Um, that that baby baby boomer era yep. who, you know, went through that restoration project. And that culture then goes to your dad yep. or your uncles, yep. um, generally speaking. And then because they're still alive, there is it now comes to your generation, yep. right? So so do you think that this culture will ever change? Yes, it is changing. Yeah. Like my generation, our generation is changing for yeah. sure. So you're absolutely seeing people our age are much more picky. And this is something nationwide yeah. I think is changing, but you just have different starting points. I think like – Iowa's starting point was at a much different place than, than our starting point, maybe. But more and more people are passing young bucks. And, you know, eventually we'll get to a point where as more and more people pass young bucks, we're going to see for more and more older deer. And I think that's already been the case. We'll always still have the number of hunters mm-hmm. difference. And also we're talking parcel size is very different. Yeah. I think the, the more east you get in the higher populated states you're in, you simply have more people, more yep. hunters, smaller and smaller properties. So if you have, let's just say, let's just say on average, every property is going to have like one person that has permission to hunt, right? Mm-hmm. Or sorry, one, at least some permission is granted for every property, let's yeah. say. So if that's the case where I live, just on like the square mile that let, let's say around where one of my hunting properties is. So like like your 640 acre square mile block, which is what most of Michigan's broken up into is these 640 acre blocks. Um, around where I hunt, you're going to have a 5, a 10, a 10, a 20, a 20, a 20, a 40, maybe one 100 acre chunk, and then a couple 40s, and then maybe two 80s or something like that. So you've got, I don't know, how that's like 15 Times the number of hunters. Yes, yeah, so let's are say on. in that 640 acres, there might be 15 different properties. And even if there's just one hunter per property, yeah. you've got 15 hunters per square mile. But most of these places, it's not one hunter. It's four yeah. or it's six guys or whatever. So in my one little 640-acre block, like on some of the properties I hunt, guaranteed 15 to 25 hunters. Yeah. Um, and there's probably three in my square mile. Or in Iowa, yeah. On average, let's just say that's low, but for bow hunting, yep. there's probably three, three to five. Yep. So, and then a lot of the properties by you, I just and I don't know if this is a rule everywhere, but when I've spent time in Iowa, 
there's a lot of properties that are 500 acres or a thousand acres yep. or I yep. got permission on a 750 acre farm. I can't think of a 750 acre farm anywhere of Hunter, Michigan. And yeah. I got property on that in a day of asking permission in Iowa yeah. and a 400 acre farm somewhere else. And it's just, just by virtue of that one thing yeah. that lowers hunting pressure in certain parcels. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there's all these different things that compound Yeah. Um, and just make it different. Yeah. You know, and that's something that, I'm not going to be able to witness in this one trip yep. because I went to a piece of uh, property or a piece of public on a, or like you were mentioned, mentioning uh, near a higher population center, yep. right? Um, down here, it's much lower, but both places other than the parking lots, I haven't run into anybody. I haven't been walked in on. I haven't walked in on anybody else. Yep. Maybe that's because of the time I came. Yep. You know, it's this early October time frame and the fact that I came during the week. Yep. Right? So that that may skew some things. Yep. But I definitely see where where and how this can happen. Right? Yeah. So, so, you know, I don't really, I really can't touch on the, the whole pressure thing. But what... What I want to talk about is the the interactions that I've had with deer here, mm-hmm. and it's only been three so far. In the let's see, if tomorrow will be my sixth set. Tomorrow morning will be my sixth and final set, and I've ran into three deer mm-hmm. in that time frame, and they were so nervous and spooked and anxious i don't even know if there's any other words i mean this doe came in the the young doe she played the young doe role right she she was a little bit less aware but she was still head up looking looking around this was this was all within the last 30 minutes of light the older more more mature doe i thought she was going to have an anxiety attack (laughs) i'm not joking like if she's going to die it's going it's going to be because it's be it's because of stress-related problems. <laughs> no hunters killing her. No hunters killing her. <laughs> I mean, she was head up, head down, look around, up, down, up, uh-huh. down. You know, like like anything made her jump. Yeah. And I had the wind in my favor, so I was able to, to witness this. And <laughs> I heard, I hear guys in Michigan and Wisconsin t- say this, but I've never witnessed it. Yeah, the deer around here walk around with their head up looking in the trees. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> deer don't do that. This spike, or he's a forkhorn, came out of this thick bush with his head in the air looking into the trees. Yeah. And it it blew my mind that I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a deer do that in Iowa unless it it's caught my tree stand and followed it up to me right they don't do that yeah the does there's nervous does but they're not that nervous in iowa yeah like and the fact that a two-year-old deer has been so stressed out or has had its mother or its crew that it runs with be so stressed out and that just carries over to the next generation of deer that that's how they act here blows my mind because what I see, what I've seen out here is tons of cover, tons of places for them to hide. Yep. 
I haven't run into any hunters which this time of year, which tells me they like right now they 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 may not be too pressured. But that behavior tells me that when they are pressured, it's so much pressure pressure that it changes their behavior for the entire year, yeah. their entire life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like everything, there's there's going to be little regional differences, and there's going to be some spots where it gets hammered worse than others, and there's going to be some spots where it's less so. But but on average, I mean, a lot of these deer, especially after opening weekend, yeah. and opening weekend, there's a lot of people out, and I think that when that switch hits, they know, oh shit, yep, it's that's that time of year, yeah. and they quickly change how they act. And see, so, yeah, I mean, during the summer, they're they're more lax, but even this, you mentioned this when you were driving around. One one very clear difference. I can go to Ohio, southern Ohio, and I've driven around during the summer and seen a bean field full of bucks. And I'll pull off the side of the road right next to that bean field, and I've filmed a field with probably 30 deer, maybe 100 yards away from my vehicle, Booner-class bucks, stand there, look up at your car, like, meh, and they keep feeding. Yep. And I'm, I'm like, this is crazy. There's a film, there's a clip of me and Josh in a truck, and he accidentally pressed the horn on the truck and beeped at him. And they look up at us and then keep feeding. Mm-hmm. You drive around here, anywhere, and if you even tap the brakes, if you slow to a stop and there's deer 400 yards away, their heads are up immediately, and then they're running. You don't, deer do not stay in the field for a second if you stop your car. And I think that is 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 an illustration of the point that they get pressured a lot, they get pressured year round in some cases and um that just eventually changes to behavior leads to behavior change and i I think it's you know we 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 also talk a little bit about conditioning we've talked about conditioning a little bit and i think this can that type of conditioning over generations of deer yeah lead them to you know and i'm not a biologist but lead them to be that way yeah that's just how they are now. It's not because necessarily they 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 witness more pressure or not. It's just that their mother was nervous. They're nervous. They're jumpy, and uh-huh. the older they get, and they have babies, and and they that behavior continues. Well, and that's here's another thing. So there's that, and then there's literally selective pressures in that the only deer that don't get shot in Michigan are the ones that are super nervous and mm-hmm. that don't tolerate yep. human pressure. So if there's a buck that makes it to three years old and is breeding here, he is the wittiest, you know, most yep. nervous, most, you know, least apt to travel around. Those are the only deer that ever make it to older age class. They mm. have to be naturally, like, that's in their DNA to be that deer, yeah. to not be roaming around. And so those are the only ones that pass on their genes consistently. So you've got your learned behavior, and mm-hmm. then you have your genetic predisposition that is passed yep. on generation after generation after generation after generation. I think that's that's an interesting twist to it all that yeah makes a lot of sense. And it, so this encounter that I had, right? Let's just say um, I was in Iowa, and the terrain was the same. Uh, I hate to do this to you, but I do this to you all the time. Yeah, can I put pause on you real quick? Yeah, can you just describe the setup? Can you like lay okay. out like where we're at? Yeah. So what what I where I was at was there was a row of private. And the private had all the egg on it, right? So what I did is I parked on the road and I walked a fence line of private in to backdoor 
uh, the ag in the hopes of catching them coming off of the river bottom to get to the ag. Yep. Right. Makes sense. And eventually that's what they were doing. And I, I was set up in a really good spot where the thermals was meeting the, um, the a predominant wind and it was sucking my wind straight up in the air and throwing it over it into the river. Nice. Right. So I had a really good, I had a really good setup and you know, now you take that same exact setup with the same exact wind, same exact conditions, you know, uh, cold fronts coming, getting ready to come through. It, yep. it was the conditions was good. Yep. It rained a little bit in Iowa. Deer are coming out over an hour before light, before dark. I mean, yep. they are coming out fully relaxed. They, you know, that, you know, I, I'm not going to say where I hunt, I would see more deer because there are hunts in Iowa where I only see three yep. or even sometimes depending on how I set up, uh, I may see less than that, but I guess what I'm trying to say is kudos to the people who hunt here and are successful, whether they're successful on shooting a spike buck or some does, or they grind it out and find one of these big dogs and, and, and harvest that because I'm, I, I'm here to admit that it is night and day in this short amount of time. I have witnessed enough to be able to say that it is, I am, I am truly blessed to be able to hunt, you know, like I was born in Iowa I'm, and I have ground in Iowa. I'm, I'm lucky that, I mean, I don't know what I would do, Mark, as far, you know, I would actually, I'd have to learn and, and do what I did on the farm that I had in Iowa, but I would be frustrated if I had to up and and move to Michigan because I'm still going to hunt, but I would be, I would be seriously frustrated because it is easier in Iowa, hands down. Yeah. I mean, I, it is, it's definitely easier. It's still a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, I I never, for anyone who lives in Iowa or Nebraska or Ohio or Illinois or one of these States, I know it's still a lot of work. You still need to know what you're doing to do it consistently. So this is not a knock on anybody. No, I, you know, but, I don't. I don't think it's a knock. I think it's just a fact. Yeah, it's just a fact. Yeah. But if you, it just requires a different game plan. Yeah. To kill the same caliber deer in Michigan or Pennsylvania or Georgia or whatever. And I, um, I don't even think it's the same caliber. I'm, I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah. That's that's. The, the pre you know the the disposition of nervous Nelly deer yep. compared to a relaxed herd yeah i mean it, you're hunting a different animal yep. period i don't care if yep. it's a spike or a doe or a, a big buck yep you know you're hunting a completely different animal yeah. so so all these thoughts start you know running in in through my head and I want to hear your thoughts on this because it just reaffirms to me that the hunting community, hunting industry, I I think kind of has it wrong where we, we are judging each other's success based off of the antlers when we are not on the same playing field. Yeah. Right. 
I can tell you in my three days, I'm going to, I'm going to go home and (laughs) probably the next time I go out hunting, I'm going to see not only more deer, but bigger deer in my one afternoon sit in Iowa compared to my three days here. Right. Yeah. So, and then like, I just get frustrated to the point where I don't even know if this idea that I have in my head is fully developed yet, but I am okay with people shooting whatever they want to shoot. You know, I'm okay with a guy who wants to fill his freezer. I'm okay with a guy who, who even, even says this, well, I'm going to fill my freezer, but then shoots that spike buck, you know, that's his right to do. He has the tag, fill it how you want it. Right. If you want to hold out and, and, you know, shoot a booner or manage your farm or do that, that's cool. But I think there is this huge disconnect between the industry and how it portrays our community that we have now our community looking at itself in a mirror that's not a mirror. That mirror is the hunting industry that is portraying uh, hunting to the community in a way that's not accurate. And that really frustrates me. Um, because I, I, I feel like th- so many people are influenced in ways that we don't need to be influencing people in hunting because the playing field's not the same. It's not, but it's kind of like, it's not that different than other parts of our society though. Right. So for example, the hunting industry, the hunting media is reflecting back some tiny 1%, like there's like something like 95% of all the hunting media, your TV shows, it's all filmed mm-hmm. in a couple pockets of Iowa and Illinois and Kansas and yep. you here and there, but it's like your top 1% most amazing right. stuff. It's all com- all coming from there. And then you have all these other people, millions of hunters that hunt something like this public land in Michigan, right? Yeah. It's, But all those guys in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Georgia and wherever – they still want to watch the 1% from Iowa. Right. It's kind of like how most people in America live an average ho-hum existence, but they're watching the freaking Kardashians on TV. Or they're yeah. watching the, you know, I love to shoot hoops, and I like to play basketball, and I'm never going to experience playing basketball with the M- in the NBA, and I'm never going to know it's like to, to guard LeBron James coming down the lane. But I still want to watch LeBron James, and I want to see him dunk over somebody. Yeah. So it's it's – it's not surprising to me, I guess, that that's what happens. Yeah. Because even though even though it can be frustrating that most of the media looks like that and we're saying, oh, that's not realistic for most guys. Yeah. All those shows couldn't be successful to a degree and be putting out stuff if there weren't people watching it. Yeah. So, like, and now it's changing. Yeah, it is changing these days. Like we're totally seeing a shift away from this to a degree, and more and more people want to see re- something more realistic. So yeah. this is being a change, but it is to some degree we as a viewing population have built have, this have monster because we voted. Yeah. It. We've basically we've voted with our eyeballs because that's yeah. the stuff we've watched and we've. And right, I mean, I like seeing big bucks. It's yeah. just like, for lack of a better term, it's like horn porn. Yeah. Like people watch because like, oh my gosh, can you imagine ever seeing a deer like that? Yeah. So I think it only becomes dangerous when 
it gets so much that we lose sight of it as being just like fictional entertainment. Yeah. We start thinking that our life should be like that. So it's like, if or, all... or that it's even possible. Right. Right. If, if, if I were to watch the NBA championship and think all of a sudden that I should be able to do that same stuff and get pissed at myself because I can't, you know, knock down three pointers like that all the time. And I'm mad at myself because that's not possible. And it makes me upset and depressed and it keeps me from enjoying my pickup basketball games and all that stuff. Then there's, then it becomes an issue. Yeah. But if I can watch that and realize, okay, that's this alternate universe. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's fun to see. Yeah. But I'm not going to let that ruin the fact that I am going to enjoy shooting hoops with my son. Yeah. It's, it's like, can you make that distinction? I guess. Do you think that the people who make the, those shows have some sort of obligation or some sort of, I don't know what the word is I'm, I'm looking for, but they should explain to the listeners that, listen, man, this is what we do for business or this is what we do for a living. Mm-hmm. We manage farms to kill big bucks, and that is how we make our money. Mm-hmm. Or do you think, because back in the day, they – they didn't do that as much. You know, now we start to see a couple layers pulled back. And if you watch closely, you know that, mm-hmm. right? But I feel, I still feel like some people don't. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think like, I think it is the right thing to do to try to s- establish some kind of, like to provide some kind of context. Yeah. So like even like you and I try to do this on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about big bucks and we talk about some of the deer we've been after and all that kind of stuff. But then we, we also try to like set the stage and say, Hey, like we're in this special situation where like, you're like, I am, yeah. I'm in Iowa. I've heard you say like, I realize this is a unique situation where I'm yeah. at. I'm in a special place. Don't feel like you're listening at home that you have to be doing the same thing. So right. yeah, I think that's, I think that's a good way to go about it. Um, I'm not sure everybody thinks or worries about that, but I, yeah. I, I think by the fact that we've tried to do that ourselves, I think that says that we think that is the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, you know, I also understand why they're doing what they're doing. Cause mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's working for them. It's, you know, you hate to see, you hate, this is the fact, but the bigger bucks gets more likes, yep. gets more views, gets yep. more sponsor dollars. I mean, so for the people that are doing these things and, and they're trying to make a living, I understand why that they continue to go more and more that direction because that's, it's what's working. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that we're seeing a equal and opposite reaction now where more and more people are also saying, Hey, we're happy also watching a show like the back 40, for example, there's still people that want to watch a show like what I'm doing where we're not shooting giant bucks. We yeah. don't have anything over like 120 inches. Yeah. Um, so, but people are voting where their view is like, oh yeah, we, we can relate to this. This mm-hmm. is cool. Yeah. Um, and, and many other examples out there too. So it's, I think we're seeing a more diversification of that yeah. because people want to see something that looks like their backyard and something that looks like what they live in and breathe. Um, and I think the digi- digital media has allowed this diversification. Yeah. And it's, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And, like all coming back to, you know, we, we talk about principles when we, when we talk about strategies, we say, all right, I can talk to you about my farm in Iowa, 
how I approach it, the strategy that goes into how I select where I put my tree stands and, yep. and how, how, do, how I use my access routes. This conversation that we've had, we've talked about how the deer behavior here is completely different than the deer behavior in Iowa. Yep. Um, the pressure, the, the more hunters. Do you think after, after all the stuff that we've talked about on all of the podcasts, do you think there are principles that truly migrate from state to state or region to region? Or do we have to break it down and say, hey, man, these principles may not even work in, you know, if I'm, if I'm in Iowa, these principles may not even work even in Michigan. Yep. So I think, and, and I can only speak to my set of experience, but I think I've whitetail hunted in like 12 or 13 different states. So there's certainly people who have hunted more, but yep. certain people have hunted less. Um, so I've, I've tried to see a wide variety of places. Um, from that experience, I would tell you that I think that the principles still apply everywhere. Yeah. The basic principles. I'm not saying every specific tactic will work, but your basic principles. When I say principles, I mean you have to think about wind. You have mm -hmm. to think about you know understanding where deer bed and feed. You need to understand how deer travel between places. You need to understand how you're going to manage um, access routes and exit routes, like certain foundational principles. Yeah. You can take that and apply it, understanding tree stand placement, whatever. Yeah. You can take that and apply it to every different state you could go to. You could think of how deer react to pressure and, and realize that deer react to pressure. Take that principle and that you want to keep deer as unpressured or uneducated as possible. You can take that principle, apply it to every state. But imagine this is like a soundboard, or it's like our, our podcast recorder right here. And each one of these principles is going to be a dial. And in each state you go to, that dial for each for each factor is changed. Yeah. So when I go to Michigan and Iowa, the same I'm thinking about the same principles. But I think in Iowa that one some of these things are turned way down. Yeah. Versus when I go to Michigan, some things are turned way up or, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I just know that in some places I need to be extra, extra, extra careful about this thing, while in other places I can get away with stuff. So I know yeah. like when I go to certain places out of state, I find myself often hunting like I'm in Michigan and thinking like, oh gosh, this thing happened. They're never gonna come back. Yeah. Like, oh, there's no chance. And then I'll catch myself like, oh, you're not. You're in this place now. This yeah. place, you probably could get away with that. Yeah. Um. Or or vice versa. So it's just a matter of changing the volume on yeah. on certain aspects of this. So I still think the basics apply, but how much they apply to each spot is different. Now, certain tactics, I I think are are much less. So you could say something like, like decoying mm -hmm. is going to be much, 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 much more uh, effective in a lower pressure state like Iowa or wherever compared to here. Um, rattling mm -hmm. is way more effective in states where there's higher numbers of mature bucks and fewer hunters. Yeah. So there's definitely things or like, you know, hunting the edge of a 20 acre food plot yeah. is going to be a lot more effective in a low pressure area than uh, a food plot on public land in Michigan or something like yeah. that. Um, so there's certain things that when you hear a TV guy talking about what he's doing, um, but you hunt in New York state and you hunt your family's 20 acre private farm and then a bunch of public land, do not, do not listen to such and such guy <laughs> on the outdoor channel that hunts 10,000 acres managed in Nebraska or right. Kansas right. and think that you're going to see the same thing. Yeah. Um, so 
we've, we've this is something we've tried to talk a lot about over the years when we've done, had these various podcasts. It's like, at least the, what I've always thought is, I want to listen to everybody. I want to yeah. listen to the guys that hunt like that, and I want to listen to the guys that hunt the public land, and I want to listen to the guys that hunt thousands of acres versus twenty acres. I want to listen to it all. Yeah, because everyone might have some little nugget that might be applicable to me, but I don't take anyone one hundred percent. I pass everybody. Everything goes through a filter. It's yeah. the, the filter is okay. Okay, you always got to think about what are their what are their circumstances. Yeah. So okay, this guy's hunting this situation. He has this much time, and he has this much land, and he's able to do it in this way. And is that any way comparable to what I have, or what I'm doing, or how I'm going about things? And you, you always have to have like that discerning set of glasses on when you look yeah. and listen to myself and you included when someone listens to like what i do think about the fact that you know i've got more flexibility with my schedule schedule than some people so like there's something that's different about me versus some people so take that into account. time time mark has more time than some people yeah uh when you listen to dan think dan's got great land in iowa think about that but less time maybe um so we all have our own different things yeah um so i think that's an important thing to think about yeah so I want to talk I want to talk about pressure yep. because I think and this is just a, a a hypothesis at this point but I'd love to hear your um uh your idea on it. In Michigan there's a lot more pressure mm-hmm. on a deer than there is in Iowa. But I think that if a deer you know, we've we've already talked about these nervous deer, but it, when I bump a deer in Iowa or I get busted by a deer, my opinion is that has that almost has a bigger impact on what that deer does than if I'm hunting here in Michigan, and obviously this is only one trip to Michigan, but a deer gets you know, busts a hunter in Michigan, but guess what? The day before he busted a hunter in Michigan, mm-hmm. the day before he busted a hunter in Michigan. Yep. So he is get he is busting people all the time yep. or they're living with this pressure on a daily basis. So the buck that I bump, he's not, he doesn't have that human contact. So when yep. it does, it potentially has a bigger impact. It's very new. New to yep. him where he could go and not come back. However, the buck that busts someone three days in a row, yep. he's just going into the weeds. He's waiting till dark, and then he's coming out, yep. right? Do you think that there is there, – I guess, I guess my question is, what do you think of that hypothesis? Yep, I think there could be – I think there's certainly some truth to that. Yeah. Um. I think what a lot of the deer around here do is that they find a zone where they're rel- they, they it, if we're talking bucks. Yeah. Any buck that makes it past a year and a half old only made it to two because he found something that's safe. Um and really like a 2-year-old is a target buck in Michigan for 97% of deer hunters in Michigan. Yeah. Um I don't know very many I mean other than like your people like you and I like the nuts all the rest of your average deer hunters are smoking every two-year-old they see in Michigan, without a doubt. Yeah. So any deer, let's say just there, any deer that gets to that age has found a honey hole for him 
where he knows he's safe, a few pockets that he can get to that he's stayed away from people enough and he's felt safe. But that buck's going to you know, bust people every once in a while here and there and whatnot. I don't think they're going to blow a deer out of their safe spot. They found a safe spot because most of the time they can at least, you know, detect danger before they get killed. So they've at least been able to detect and bust people soon enough that they don't get killed. So they're going to hunker down. They're still, I just think the biggest thing is that when they move changes. So you'll get these bucks that will still stick around the general area, but the distance they travel from their little safety net tightens and then it goes very nocturnal. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying all of our bucks are nocturnal, but many more of them are daylight a lot less yeah. than elsewhere. Um, so you see, I mean, what it's... I, it's it, it, and, and that makes sense, yeah. right? They find a spot where they're safe at, and they don't leave it, yep. right? In Iowa, there's much more safe spots, yeah. right? So a deer may travel half a mile to a mile and stay there it, 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 it may it be it will be in his area but not necessarily his core area yep. because he's found another honey hole or he's found another mm-hmm. safe spot that doesn't have that same same pressure so it to me it just makes sense that like when when i bump a deer in iowa and he disappears for three days right uh he's probably he he may go nocturnal he may not but he's just going to go do what he's been doing in a different spot where I guess it's that, it's that balance or it's the, the, the volume buttons again, right? Like the buck in Michigan, he may have come out during daylight, but he, he busted you. So now he's only nocturnal yeah. and he's, he's, his range probably shrinks down dramatically. Yeah. So, so I think it was, uh, if we're talking about people that like to preach about how tough Michigan is, yeah. John Aberhart yeah. is a guy who talks about this a lot. Um, he talks about he, the last handful of years, he started using a term he calls consequential pressure. Mm-hmm. And it, may, it actually makes a lot of sense. A deer in Michigan, the pressure, the consequential pressure, it would be like the, the outcome of a pressure mm-hmm. of, a, of a human interaction. So here, a two-year-old, if it gets has some kind of interaction with a human, it's much more likely to be shot at or killed or something like that versus a two-year-old in Iowa because of this whole chicken and egg thing we talked about earlier. Like most two-year-old bucks in Iowa, people around you are like, oh, why would I ever shoot a buck like that? Yeah. So those bucks aren't like they might be bumped by a human and be like, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Like deer in Iowa, maybe I'm generalizing, but a lot of year and a half old, two and a half year old, three and a half year old bucks have never had a negative situation with humans. Like they'll encounter humans and they just they run off, but they yep. don't get shot at. They've never been stung in the butt. They've never been grazed with an arrow. Yeah. It's not until they get four or five or whatever that, you know, deer start getting plinked at. While here, most bucks that you recover have multiple bullets and arrow fragments in them and stuff. They've been shot at when they're a year old. They were shot at when they're two. Um, so they have had significantly negative negative encounters with people from a young age yeah so that's another thing so it's i don't know how that exactly changes things but the reason i thought of that is because one thing that i have definitely seen over and over again in other states in lower pressure states is that i can i can get away with more mistakes yeah like i can make a mistake i can blow a buck out or a buck can 
bust me or something. And I can still see that buck the next day. Yeah, I've 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 blown. I've I've had a hundred and sixty inch buck in Iowa that spooked, and I saw him the next day from the same stand. Yeah, I've never seen like a two year old buck in Michigan that I spooked and then saw him again the next day <laughs> the same stand. So it's that kind of thing where yeah. they, they're they're more forgiving, and I think it's because there's been less consequential encounters. Right. So while that's not a rule, that there's always exceptions. Yeah. I think on average, that's like one of the biggest differences between lower pressure versus higher pressure states. Yeah, I can I can get on board with that. So, <laughs> so, kind of finishing out this this story of my trip here to Michigan, <laughs> I, I'm having this these thoughts going in my head, and, and people have already asked me, "So, are you going to come hunt Michigan again?" Right. And I don't know if I necessarily have an answer for that quite yet, but <laughs> let me, let me just explain how my trip has gone so far. Yeah. You haven't really like walked through the whole thing yet. We've kind of yeah. just your one. Yeah. And really that's really all it is. I mean, it, the only excitement. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, other than me hiking through the Michigan countryside, setting up tree stands, I mean, yeah. that's, that's all it's been, but the the big takeaway here is the experience with those three deer, the takeaway, getting to see the landscape, getting to see the, all the shooting houses. Yeah. And I think the communication with the Brian, the guy, uh, you, and, you know, I, I, I had an idea of what this was all about, yeah. but you don't, you don't absorb it until you live it. Right. So, yeah. but, <laughs> so I told you this, but, one of my biggest pet peeves is to have to sit in slow traffic or stop in traffic. Yeah. So South side of Chicago on my way here, what did I have to do? Sit in traffic, yeah. wait in traffic. Right. And <laughs> I've hit a deer while I've here. Um, I hit a buck. Yeah. You forgot. Yeah. I mean, you did, you smoked a buck. I smoked a buck. You got your Michigan buck. Yeah, well, I didn't. Because yeah. we went looking for him and I uh, couldn't find him. Yeah, he came. He came out of a cemetery, and he was. I, I'm guessing 120, 120 inch eight pointer maybe. Yeah. So you you hit a top tier Michigan buck. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could you could you if you wanted if you were very generic with how you speak about this. Yeah, you'd be like, yeah, man, I I hit a big hit a big buck. I was on and just didn't recover him. But, but never go into any details <laughs> yeah, that it was with my truck. <laughs> and a lot of guys will be like, damn, you hear Dan went to Michigan yeah. in three days. He hit a like 120-inch A-pointer. Jeez, that's really good for three days in Michigan. You, if you play this the right way, man, people will think you're a badass. Yeah, I know, right? I can't do that, though. I can't do that. So I hit a deer with my you truck. Shoot, you shoot a 120-inch A-pointer, and you're a badass in Michigan. Anybody. Really? If someone's shooting a 120-inch A, that's a damn good deer. Here. I know. Man, I just the the reality is it's not a good time of year. Yes, yeah, tough time. Tough time of year. Um, you know the cold fronts. The cold front. You know I. I you know deer are are here. They're mm -hmm. somewhere. Yep. You just got to find them. I'm not a. I. I, I don't think a guy's ever going to be able to talk me into this October lull being a thing, right? I. I don't like it. Right. Yep. Um, but I lost today on uh, the hike in. I lost uh, uh, a Sitka jacket. <laughs> uh, I mean, the 
Are you mad at me because of where I sent you? <laughs> well, I, I want to talk to I want to talk to you a little bit about that because <laughs> um, I warned you. I, well, you warned me. I did warn you, but you said here just avoid this spot, which I avoided that spot. But the spot to the east of that was also the same amount of thickness as well, the spot you told me to well, avoid. Did you ever go into the spot I told you to avoid? You didn't. So just imagine what you did go through and imagine it being like three worse. times worse. <laughs> well, anyway, if uh, anybody wants to scour some uh, public land, you can find a, uh, a Sitka jacket <laughs> in there. Um, Cause I'm not going to like, I don't even know where I would start to look for it at. Yeah. Um, and then, and then on the way out tonight, I had to walk through chest high thorns mm-hmm. and those, I call it beggars lice, yeah, the yeah. stuff that sticks to you all over the place. Yeah. So I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, if you don't like me, just tell me. <laughs> don't don't send me into a gar hole. <laughs> no, dude, I sent you to honestly one of the best, like one of the spots that I've always thought. If I had the time to hunt this zone where mm-hmm. I sent you, I know there's a good buck in there. Yeah. Like, and and the reason why is because you got to go through hell to get there. Yeah, like it's nasty thick in there. But if you get back in there, ways there's there's good sign, usually good sign. I found a lot of good buck beds back there. I know you didn't see the sign today, but I've seen good bucks around there. It's it's. Here's the thing. Everything we've said about Michigan mm-hmm. it is it is tougher than some states. I, I do want to make a point to say that there are plenty of other states in the realm similar to this. Like yeah. there's a lot of people listening in Pennsylvania, Delaware, New York. Pennsylvania, New York, Georgia, Virginia. Like a lot of states deal with similar situations to this. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I honestly believe you could go to a piece of public land like where you went tonight, and if you had some time to learn it, and if you had time to hunt it at the right times and all these things, and if you knew what you're doing, um, you could kill a nice buck. Yeah. Um, could you shoot a 120-inch A-pointer out there? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, and every once in a blue moon, I bet you a bigger buck like that is running around there and and people do shoot big bucks on yeah. public land there. So it's possible. Um it's just, you know, it's it's just how often does that kind of thing happen? Yeah. Is the question. Yeah. Yeah. It but I will tell you this, uh to to the listeners, I didn't see it here tonight. <laughs> so Mark <laughs> the story. Yeah. So Mark sends me to uh the best spot on public that he knows about. And uh, still no deer, but no deer, <laughs> no deer. But in all, but in all seriousness, man, it's just. I think this is just the cherry on top. Of, and I'm going to go out tomorrow morning, yep. and I'm going to do it one last time. And but I think it's just this experience solidified the fact that it's just a different world. Yeah. Um, now, I I don't know how to say this. I've been I've been thinking of how to say it, and maybe you can help me because you're better at this than me. But if someone said, "Hey, are you going to come back to Michigan?" and I say, "Why would I?" Mm-hmm. Like the hunting is not as good here, and and I guess you define good. What is good? Yeah. But for me, I was born in and and raised in the sweetest spot to have encounters with big old old bucks with big antlers in the country in the country and it's not just the best state 
like you're in the best you're in the best like you have you yeah you do have like uh, i'm in the bermuda triangle yes you know or the rectangle yeah of big bucks in you know there there's there's probably some places in illinois that are the same way maybe some places in kansas that are the same way yep. but you know Iowa is everybody's dream and I get to live it every year, right? So how would I how would I respectfully say to people, dude, I like why would I come to Michigan? Right? I, I dude, I've I've had an absolute blast here. Yep. Right? I've got to experience this. I've got to do the run and gun thing like I I mean I do the same thing in Iowa. Yep. But why why would I come to Michigan when I have Iowa? Yeah. So I would tell you, the reason why you should come back to Michigan is the same reason why I still take a special pride in hunting Michigan, mm-hmm. which is the same reason why your buddy you hung out with uh, a couple days ago, he had a private farm that he was able to hunt, and he killed some really nice Michigan bucks. Yep. But eventually he said, you know what? I've kind of figured that thing out. I want to try to start killing them on public land in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I would say if you could come back to Michigan – the reason why you should do it is to prove to yourself, to challenge yourself in a new way. Because I'll tell you what, a 120-inch three-year-old in Michigan, you kill a buck like that here, and it's going to be, even though it's smaller antlered and younger deer than the deer you've killed in Iowa, you will be so damn proud of yourself for doing it. And the yeah. challenge that would be and what you would have to do to pull that off, you would be so ecstatic. That I would You'd move to Michigan. It. I wouldn't say you do that. <laughs> I wouldn't say you do that, but it's it's the challenge. And so I've always thought, man, if you can kill 120, 130 inch, 140 inch, you can kill a four year old in Michigan. A four year old any size buck is as much of an accomplishment as a booner, 180 inch buck in another state in my book. Yeah. And so, so the nice thing about just being in my position and that this is where I started, and because I've just not grown up around it. Is I still get like super fired up. If I you see a hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty inch buck around here, that gets me fired up because you know like that's a top tier buck. Like yeah, I'm hunting some bigger deer that occasion, but lots of years like that's gonna be the best buck you see, and I still get really excited. It's a little harder for you because you're used to seeing way bigger bucks a lot more often, so it's just gonna be a little bit different to get excited about that. Yeah, but I think given your experience here now, I would encourage you to maybe it's not michigan maybe it's somewhere else but i know you and i know you like challenges and i I know you like the the learning process yeah and um and it's 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 good to challenge yourself new ways and someday you're gonna get sick of seeing booners (laughs) and you're gonna say you know what i want to i want to kill one of these these neurotic anxiety (laughs) attack deer um so that's why you should come back and you should come back with more time and you should come back at a better time. Yeah. Um, and one of these times when I've got more time and we should just go like hunt them down on some public together or something, when we can both do it and, uh, and tag team it. And that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you wouldn't, maybe that would still not excite you, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's my pitch at least. Right. Right. And it's, it's, it's weird. Cause I'm in this point of my life where, you know, I have Iowa, right? It's glorious. Yes. But I also want to go west and hunt other species, yeah. right? So yeah. my my whole thing is, do I stop going to South Dakota to hunt mule deer 
or do I come to Michigan? I got lucky this year where I can go on these these yeah. two trips. The wife, she's not so happy, but I'm here and I'm I'll be back home tomorrow night. But um, there there, what I will say is that I'm not going to say no, but I will say I'm intrigued. Yeah, and and I would also tell you. Um, what did I tell you? I would tell you that that I would not blame you in any way at all. If right, you would right. put it on the back burner for some time. <laughs> <laughs> because because as much as I just told you how much pride I take in hunting mm-hmm. Michigan and, and the fact that, you know, these bucks I I love the challenge mm-hmm. and all that, I still take off and I love these out of state trips and yeah. they are a ton of fun. Yeah. And it is a lot of fun to go somewhere where I know I'm gonna see more deer and have a little bit more slack and see more older bucks. That is a lot more fun than sitting 10 days straight and seeing nothing but year and a half olds and 72 does. Yeah. So I'm not saying that that is not more fun. I totally want to understand. And, and by my own actions, by the fact that I leave the state often would tell you that I totally get why you wouldn't come back in certain ways, but there is also redeeming Michigan has redeeming qualities. Pennsylvania has redeeming qualities. All these different States have, you know, there's that tradition. There's, the pride that can come with figuring it out. Yeah. The deer are here. There are some good deer. There is good deer hunting. There's lots of deer. Um, so it just kind of depends on where you're at in your life and what you're looking for. And, um, you know, I don't blame you for heading west. That's for sure. I think, and, and I think a lot of it is the time that we talked about this. Like, and I, I'm close to the farms I'm an hour away from my main farm in Iowa. I get to go and and scout it and work on it and do, you know, keep up with what the deer are doing, the trail cameras. When you go to these out of state trips, South Dakota was different because it was spot and stalk glassing. I got to, I could see everything here. It's not that way. It's the typical tree stand hunt and you're not, I'm not, I'm not in tune with my environment. Right. I, I'm still going in and trying to read the sign and, yep. and doing what I do, but I don't know like what's over the next ridge and, yep. and what that ridge could potentially impact yep. the ridge that I'm currently on or, you know, yeah. all this other stuff. But, but I will say I'm intrigued, uh, with this or with this, this new, let me ask you this growing up here hunting here, having the skill set that you now have with all these other experiences, do you think that as a hunter, growing up in this tough environment to hunt, it has it has calloused you or um, seasoned you in a way to where it makes going and encountering big mature bucks in other states easier? 100%. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think you take your average, you take a good hunter in Michigan, like someone who Michigan yeah. kills like a nice, a nice buck in Michigan every year. You send them to some of these other states. They'll slay. They'll be slaying. Yeah. I mean, every other state I've hunted to, every other state I've gone to, I thought, oh, wow, this is easier. Yeah. Um, different. Yeah. So, so yes, it, you can view it as a good thing. Yeah. Um, I would tell you the, the biggest thing that I think is good that you came here, I totally get why you wouldn't want to leave the the Disney World. Yeah. Um, but it is good for you uniquely because of, like, your job. Yeah. 
like your job is to speak to the hunting community about hunting and about your experience, about all these things. But it's really good for you to see something other than Disney World. Yeah. Um, I think that's the best thing. So even though it wasn't like a wonderful trip as far as killing deer and seeing deer, you now can relate to a part of your audience better. There's perspective. There's perspective. Yeah. Um, and you've heard me yammer about it and complain yeah. about it over the years. Um, but it's one thing to hear, like you said, another yeah. thing to experience it. Um, yeah. And... And yeah, I mean, it's, it's just different. Every state's uh, different. Every place is different. And there's good things and there's bad things about everything. Good things and bad things about Iowa. I, I will say this. I love the terrain. Like, I, I'm in love with the thick nastiness that's here. Yep. But also just the overall view of Michigan. It's gorgeous here. Yeah, it's cool state. I mean, it's, it's, like I told you earlier, it reminds me of a flatter northeast Iowa. Yeah. But, you know... Everybody I've run into here has been extremely nice. I mean, even the ladies at the gas station. I stopped at two day, two mornings in a row, and I got a cinnamon roll. Very, very nice people. <laughs> just like, it's that midwestern yeah. midwestern vibe, and yep. um, you know, I just uh, I don't know. I, I enjoy, I've enjoyed myself here, and it's awesome to run into and, and, and meet this Brian guy and, and be able to sit down and do have this face to face with you. And, yep. um, it's, uh, it's just another one of these stepping stones, I guess, or a notch in the belt or however you want to say it about being a outdoorsman and being a hunter and being able to communicate this story to the masses or to my children and say, this is what I did. Yeah. And, and then talk about it, right? Yep. And it's, um, but what what I will say is, you know, y- you always, you know, talk about we have we have these these debates, or we talk about who's the, who who's a better hunter? Is it this guy or is it this guy? I'll tell you right now that in my short period of time here, the people who are hunting states like Pennsylvania, uh, who are hunting Florida, who are hunting Michigan, they are the grinder like not not saying that i don't grind in iowa but if you can figure out a four-year-old in michigan on public land yeah it is it will trump me figuring out a four-year-old in iowa yeah i don't care who you are i mean i'll 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 go i'll fight for that yeah and um and then you know i what i want to do is i want to talk like it it I talk to people a lot on this podcast who who do that, but it makes me want to talk to them more now and ask them different questions right. to find out how did how, you, how did you do this? Yeah. Because you know, I took a I took a I took I'll tell you this, Mark. I I went into some primo spots this week, just going in and reading sign and setting up, and no deer showed up. Yeah. Right. I want to know what this guy would have done different. Yeah. If he, you know, if he was me. Yeah. So, yeah, man, Michigan. Uh, doubt I come back next year, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you made the trip at least once. Right, right. And here's one thing. Here's another perk of it. It is going to make that next hunt you have in Iowa <laughs> a lot sweeter. I'm you're going to you're going to appreciate it just a little bit more, I bet. You're going to be like, "Damn, this is pretty nice." Do you think I'll appreciate it so much that I get fired up and shoot like a 135 class? I don't think you'll be that fired up. <laughs> like, but I think you'll Oh my god, I haven't seen that deer. But I think you'll see that 135 and be like, "Damn, you know what?" Right. 
it's nice that I can see you and not have to worry about it (laughs) and just let him go. Um, Because, you know, there's a schmuck like Mark who would (laughs) be pissing his pants excited about it. Drive his car into the ditch just Uh so he can see it. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, well. (laughs) Well, um, had an absolute blast, uh, and I'm spending the night at your house tonight. Thanks for the hospitality. Thanks thanks to everybody at Michigan, and kudos to the people who hunt Michigan uh, and – offering your guys's um state to me i'll tell you this i've had so many people through instagram reach out to me and offer up their farms offer up their pieces of private that they hunt that's awesome and that's that just goes to show you that the hunting community despite all the bullshit you read on the internet is alive and well and doing what we do best, and that is sharing this thing we call hunting with each other. Yeah, it's awesome. So that is a great. That's a great point to end on. And, yep. And uh, man, you know, you can. We. I can knock on the age class on average of Michigan. I can knock on, you know, the number of young bucks that get shot, but you can't knock on the tradition. Yep. The, the passion. Yep. The hunters. I mean, we love this thing we have here, and. Uh, a lot of good people here so proud to be a michigander proud to chase these wily old bucks here in the mitten state and damn it i'm gonna shoot a <laughs> big one here in michigan this year for you dan and there you have it guys huge shout out to mark for taking time out of his day to record with me huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to this man like i said in the intro please subscribe that helps me out please follow me on social that helps me out uh, huge shout out to the people who make my life possible and that is the partners and that is lone wolf portable tree stands vortex optics wasp broadheads ozonic scent elimination been using that a lot lately uh, and the average conservationist apparel badass hats and shirts and uh, hoodies and all that good stuff take a look at all of the people that make this uh, this possible And other than that, man, I hope everybody out there finds success this year, whether it is actually killing an animal or learning something from the woods uh, that makes you a better hunter or filling your freezer or going after inches. I don't care. As long as you're happy, as long as you're having fun, that's what hunting is all about. So have a good rest of the season good luck to you be safe wear a safety harness and there's going to be a shit ton more content coming out in the next couple months or in the next you know 30 40 days about strategy and tactics and we're going to get into the weeds and get this figured out for all of us so we can start to slay man hey have a good one we'll talk to you next time